Well, thank you very much, worship team. Great song, great song, and great send-off for our children for Children's Church. Thank you so much for leading us. Well, it's great to see you all this morning. Thank you for making it here to Grace Point Church. Um, you have found us in part six of a seven-part series that we are calling Meaning Full. Uh, it might look like meaningless, but don't be deceived. It is meaning full. And if you've been with us for any period, here's what you know already. And if this is your first time hearing this series, you'll get caught up in a hurry. We are looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, and in that book, in the Old Testament, the author of that book writes about life being meaningless. However, I believe that there is one thing that changes everything about life being meaningless, and it changes it to become meaningful. And if you've been with us, you already know the end of the story, and that is this, that the thing that changes life from being meaningless to meaningful is that this life isn't all that there is. If there is indeed a resurrection, if indeed life and hope is not capped at death, and there's life after this life, then that changes everything about this life now. It changes life from meaning less to meaning full. And so what we've said so far, all right, and by way of review, we've said these things, that that view changes everything. And we've covered four of these topics already. We're on topic number five this morning. We've talked about how that changes everything about what is wise versus unwise, what is um, ways that we see our work, about how we see money and wealth. Last week we talked about oppression and injustice, and this week we are talking about our reputation. So welcome this morning to this conversation, and I hope that it will be helpful. I think it really will be beneficial for you. And to get into the reputation conversation, here's how I want to begin. I want you to imagine the last time you looked in a mirror. And not the last time your spouse should have looked in a mirror, but the last time you looked in a mirror, okay? And that likely was sometime this morning. I would bet that for almost all of us, you looked in a mirror sometime pretty soon. Now, here's the funny thing about mirrors. We would all say that we should look at them, but we also should say that we shouldn't look at them too long, right? You should look at it, but don't spend too long in there. And I was kind of awakened to that as a growing boy in my parents' home, and my sister began to look in the mirror more and more. I'm like, come on, what's taking you so long in the bathroom? Like, how long can it take? And I never had to deal with that issue with my hair. Now, believe it or not, I had some flowing locks thing going on, a little bit of a California surfer look when I grew up in the Caribbean, believe it or not, all right? It's not that funny. It just is not that funny. It's just reality, okay? And, but I never understood, you know, how much more time that a sister would take to look in the mirror than a brother, okay? And I began to understand that. Now, here's what we know. If you end up spending too much time looking in the mirror, you become way too focused on really what you see and what's reflected on the outside. And you know people like that who just identify themselves really with how they look and how they're presented. But here's the equal problem is if you don't spend any time looking in the mirror. Like, can you imagine how well that would go for you going to work and having not looked in the mirror all week? Like, that would be bad. It just really would go poorly for you. It's right at least to glance in the mirror. Now, take that idea and move it inward. What if we could take a mirror up against our inner person, a mirror against our reputation or our name? What would that look like to be able to look into a mirror like that and see us for who we really are? And I think we can say that the, the parallels would also hold there, that we don't want to look in that mirror too long 
or else we become, actually, believe it or not, we become insecure. If we spend too much time worrying about what people think of us and too much time trying to wear the right things or say the right things or make the right decisions based on what we think people will think about us, that we become very insecure and not very confident people at all. At the same time, if we spend no time looking at our name or our reputation, we can do damage to our very lives and to the people around us. It's equally as troubling as if you were to spend a whole week and not look in a physical mirror, not understanding how you impact people around you and what kind of legacy, if you will, that you are building in your own life. And so this morning, I want to try to split the middle on that and take some time for us to look at a reputation and your reputation, mine, and at our name. Now, to, to get there, I want to acknowledge that it's a little bit of a strange conversation. We don't normally talk and sit and think about our reputations. And we're going to talk about why that is, especially why that's weird for Christians to have that conversation. Okay? So let me begin this way by defining reputation, just so we're beginning in the same page. Talk about what a reputation is. Really simple here from the Oxford Dictionary. The beliefs or opinions that are generally held about someone or something. All right, we we kind of know that. All right, that's someone's reputation. Now, there's some things that I think are true about reputations that hold for all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're following God or not. But this is just true, I believe, for humanity. And there's a couple things here. Number one, that we all have reputations. We, we all have reputations. This is why if you're ever, um, if you're a, a young parent, you're trying to figure out a name for your child, and you would throw a name across the table to your spouse. You know, Jen and I did this at Barnes & Noble uh, bookstores. We went in there and didn't feel like buying the books, so we had, uh, you know, kind of a coffee date, even though I don't, don't drink coffee, and we just kind of stole their content without paying for it, okay? You know, pull the thing off the shelf and look through a baby name book of a thousand baby names or whatever, and I might throw out a name, and she's like, no, 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 no. No, that girl was mean to be in middle school, and then, then she throws out a name like, you kidding me? That kid gave me a wedgie, you know, when I was whatever. And, and why? Because everyone has a reputation, and there's certain reputations that come with names and comes just part of the deal. This is why some of you were excited that your kid got a certain teacher, because they have a reputation. And some of you weren't excited that you could get another teacher because they have a reputation. This is why RateMyProf.com exists in order to clarify for college students, what is the rep of this professor? Everyone has reputations. Now here's what we also know. Not only does everyone have them, but we all care about our reputations. This is true from, as we say, little on up. If you are into the social media scene at all, um, you will know that on Instagram in particular, there's a little phenomenon called TBH. All right? TBH stands for to be honest. Now, it's not actually honesty. It's actually TBE, to be encouraging, because you're not really honest, honest. You're encouraging, encouraging on Instagram. And when you have a TBH tag on that, in other words, you're supposed to say something about me that you maybe otherwise wouldn't say. Like, I want to hear what you think of me, and so just here's an opportunity and invite for you to be honest about what you think of me. Now, no one is ever going to say, oh, I'm so glad for that. I think you're an absolute loser. I mean, no one does that on TBH. It's always encouraging comments, which is fine. But why do we have that? Because we all care about what people think. And we all care about our reputations. This is why you haven't quit when you've been inclined to quit. Sometimes for you, and, and I know for me, you get to the end of a season and you are exhausted. You're tired from work. You're tired from business. You're tired in your own exercise routine or whatever it is. But there's something in you that says, you know what? I'm a, mm, whatever, like I'm a, you name your last name or you just kind of think, this is not who I am. I don't quit. Why? Because we all, whether we say it this way or not, we care about 
our reputations. It's just universal, and it's okay to own that, and that's just part of reality. Number three, but here's the thing. We know others' reputations better than our own, don't we? It is not hard. You ever have this kind of conversation? You're talking with someone across the table from you or what have you, and you share a crazy story that somebody does. And the person across the table is like, why would they do that? And then you both pause in that moment, and, they're like, and you say, because it's Bill. You're like, oh, of course, because it's Bill. Like, because we know that Bill does that kind of stuff. Like, that's who Bill is. We all know it. And I guarantee you that we know, at least we think we know, your reputation better than you know you. And you know my reputation better than I know mine. We tend to have an ability to see things, whether rightly or wrongly, in other people. And that's just kind of the way it works. Now, fourthly, this is true, I think, of all reputations, that we do more hoping than planning about our reputations. You ever think about that? We plan for way more important th- or way less important things than our reputation. We plan for vacations. We plan for the future. We plan on who we're going to date and marry, and we hope that our reputation is good. We do way more hoping than planning about our reputations. We just simply do. And I think these things are true across the board. Uh, Benjamin Franklin once said that glass, china, and reputations are all easily shattered and difficult to fix. True. This is the reality of reputations. They're tough, tough, tough to create. And if we're honest, they're difficult to know how to plan for. I don't plan for what my reputation should be, and should I even plan on that? Here's the problem for Christians. Um, this next slide is going to be talking to Christians in particular because this is a struggle for us as Christians. There's some things that are true uniquely for people who say that they follow Christ. You may or may not be in that category this morning. If you're sitting here, or if you're listening later online, you may or may not be in that category. But here's what I think is true for Christians. Christians know this, that they know their reputation should be about loving God and loving others. Christians know that the, the great commandment is to love God and the second commandment is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, Christians have this built-in wiring that says it's not life, it's not about me. And this is why we struggle with talking about reputations. Because Christians know that my life should exist to glorify God. My life should be less about me and more about Him. That's just what we know. We just know that's supposed to be true. And therefore, number two, Christians rarely talk about their reputation out of fear of conceit. Out of fear that we're going to look in the mirror too long... Out of fear that, I, should I really reflect on my life this much? Because I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about God. I want it to be about Christ's magnification. I want it to be people seeing Jesus through me, and rightly so. And therefore, therefore, number three, Christians who don't look in the mirror are at risk. As equal a risk as if you would not look in the mirror for a whole week and go to work and expect everything to be great. It's just not going to go well. You have a routine. You've got to check yourself in the mirror physically. And I'd like to suggest to you that it is a right and godly thing. It is a right and godly thing for Christians to stop and look in the mirror on their reputation, on their name, and that it is not a matter of conceit or not improper, but it is right and godly to stop and ask these questions. Now, if you're thinking with me, you're also realizing this, that reputation is not everything there is. In fact, reputations don't tell the whole story. Okay, this is important to communicate. 
about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, there was um, a, a boy's name that grew in popularity because of one man who grew in his success and his notoriety across the United States. And with one name, I will tell you the name, and then you will immediately know who it is. Even if you're not into this event at all, you will know who it is. About 10 years ago in particular, this name was Hot, and the name is Lance. All right? Now, Lance Armstrong was a national hero, and his reputation was a cancer survivor, someone who is going to battle, and he represents all of what America is for. Like, we overcome and we win all the time because we're just awesome. And this is, this is Lance. And that name became synonymous with those values, and it became a good thing about 10, 12 years ago. These boys are now entering third, fourth, and fifth grade across the nation named Lance. But I'm telling you now, now, there is nobody who's just rushing up to name their son Lance. You know why? Because his character killed his reputation. Right? Reputations don't tell the whole story. I love the way Albert Hubbard said it. He said it this way. Many a man's reputation would not know his character if they met on the street. I love that. Many a man's reputation would not know his character if they met on the street. The reputation of someone like Lance 10 years ago, great rep, great reputation from a distance. But the man's character, are you kidding me? A compulsive liar who cared nothing about throwing you under the bus in order to get what he wanted. Cared nothing about it. And he would admit it to this day. There are many of us who struggle with the same thing. It is easier to present a rep, reputation to you, than it is to have the character that undergirds it. And so here's the deal. Underneath reputation, reputations don't tell the whole story. Underneath reputation is really this question of character. And what kind of character is creating the kind of reputation that you have? And so this morning, I want us to drive at and deeper than reputation. I want us to ask this question. What builds great character? I want us to ask, what builds great character? Because the character creates a reputation, it creates a name, and I believe it is right and godly to stop and look in the mirror internally and say, who am I becoming before God and others? So, our teacher, right, the Hebrew name for him in the book of Ecclesiastes is Kohole, I call him Q. The teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes takes on this issue of our name. And he talks in great detail about that, and we're just going to cover one passage that he deals with related to our name and our reputation. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 7 is where we'll begin. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's no problem with that at all. There's a Bible around you, in the pew near you. Uh, that, by the way, is our gift to you. You can take that Bible home with you if you would like um, and have that, um, be able to engage with the life of God through those pages in that book. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, and our teacher is speaking here. Now, uh, he begins, and he says this, reading from the NIV, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, 
because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. All right, we're going to pause it there and hit the rewind button back to verse 1. Okay? He begins in verse 1, and he'll just lay it out. And here's his principle. A good name is better than fine perfume. In other words, if you want to get riches, and here, here's the context, if you want to get wealth and riches and have good things around you, good. Like, who doesn't want that? That's the assumption. Who wouldn't want to have the fine things of life? Who doesn't want to pursue having better things around them? I mean, that's just kind of a natural inclination. And he's saying, listen, a good name is better than anything that you're going to want to go after in life. That's kind of a good starting point. That if you want to have a good name, you desire a good thing. So in other words, it's good and godly to look in the mirror internally and ask, what kind of name am I developing? In other words, what makes great character? It's a good, good question. And then he continues in the second half of verse 1 to make this strange statement, and I've spoken about this before up here. He says, and the day of death is better than the day of birth. And none of us would say it that way, but we understand what he means in context. We understand that he means that if you look at the end and keep the end in mind and reverse engineer your life, then you can make sense of your life. But if you don't have a plan for the future and don't keep in mind that you're going to die someday, your days right now are going to be meaningless. Like it's good to reverse engineer your life. This is why we ask a a kid coming into or out of high school, what do you want to do? In other words, what's your future plan? Like what's the end game? Because if you reverse engineer it and you want to go into medicine, then go to, you go to medical school. Like It just makes sense to reverse engineer. And he's just taking that big picture and saying the day of death, knowing that you're going to die, it allows you to keep things in your life in priority order. It's fair. So he says again in verse 2, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting because death for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. And then in the next several verses, he talks about this difference between laughter and um, sorrow. And verse 6 is a great um, image. He says, like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. If you ever had that experience of those thorns just popping and crackling, in other words, it makes noise, But what does it do? Nothing. It doesn't create sustainable heat. It doesn't help the pot warm up. It doesn't help you build a good campfire to have a bunch of thorns in there. It just makes a lot of popping noises and you run for cover. It just doesn't do anything. And he's saying the same thing. If all you do is spend your time trying to have fun, if all you do is spend your time with laughter and party and fun and all, if that's all you do, like you'll be busy and it'll feel interesting, but it won't be meaningful. Like it won't have the weight of stopping to think, what is the end game? And what should I do to reverse engineer my life? It just won't have that same oomph. And so here's the problem with Q in his teaching, and here's where he often drops us. He'll give us a philosophical point, but he won't answer the next question of how. Like, okay, I believe you that this makes sense, and most of us would believe that this makes sense, but how do I do this? Like, what do I do with that? How do I implement that, and how do I move that forward in my life? And so he alludes to this reality a little bit in verse 21 and 22. And so just skip down there to the end of the, um, to, to, to that section in chapter 7, excuse me, chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. And he says this, Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. 
do not pay attention to every word that people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you, for you know in your heart that many times you have cursed others. In other words, here's what he knows about the human condition, that we, the mirror, right, to our reputation is actually held up with you, and you are the mirror to my rep, whether good or not, and whether rightly or not, that is the default behavior that we often have. What you will say about me will often impact what I think is true about me. Right? Do you feel that? What other people say about you, you will often take to heart and be encouraged or discouraged by it, and it will create reality for you. Rightly or wrongly, that's his assumption. And he says, hey, be careful. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to because you know in your heart you've cursed other people, and be careful of the people who are against you because they may not be giving you the full picture of what's going on. And he knows that that's true. Now, he still leaves us without the how, but he lets us know one of our tendencies is to listen to other people and have our reputation shaped by that and our opinion of ourselves shaped by that. Now here's why this is important to stop and process. I don't know if you've thought about it this way, but at the end of life, and here's where Q takes us to the end of life in chapter 7, when you die on the day of your death, on the day of your death, your reputation and your name will give life to the next generation. Have you thought about that? On the day of your death, your name or your reputation will give life to the next generation. When I say life, I mean um, values, priorities, health. And here's what I mean. Don't you still tell stories of your parents and grandparents? Don't you still, when you're reminiscing, think positively of people who have already passed. And you remember the stories and the moments in which your dad or your mom or your grandpa or your great uncle, whoever, did something really great. And you remember that with affection. And you tell that story to the next generation. And their life is changed by the reputation of someone who has died. On your death, the day of your death, your reputation and your name will give life to the next generation if, if we stop to reflect on what name we are building, which is why it's so good and godly to stop and look in the mirror. Okay? Here's the question then. If this is true and it's a good thing to develop great character, how do I do it? And this is where I depart from Q's teaching and say it's incomplete, it's not full. Let me go further. Right? And what I've done in each of these messages is I've said this, that the theology of the New Testament and what Jesus teaches us fills out what Q is teaching. And in this case in particular, I ask the question, what builds great character? Who... <laughs> Who has built the greatest character? Whose name is above all names? Whose name will we all bow to at one day? And if you're a Christian, you know the answer to that is Jesus. And so I begin to say, what is it that Jesus' life can teach me about this? And I turn in my mind and in the scriptures to a passage I invite you to turn to now as well. And that is over to the New Testament side of your Bible, to, to the book of Philippians, a small little book um, in in the New Testament, uh, written by uh, a fellow by the name of Paul. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, captures an incredible passage that gives us an idea of how we can push this principle down into practice. And Paul is writing there, a follower of Jesus, and he says, um, beginning, I'm going to begin in verse um, 
1 for us, beginning in, in uh, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 1. He says this there, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's pause it there the end of verse 4. Just pause it for a moment. Verses 3 and 4 represent Paul's theory of telling you, here's what you can build your life on. Like, here's what to do. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. In other words, I mean, it's about humility. It's about seeing others as better than yourself. It's about making decisions in which they can be marked as humble decisions. Now, if you're anything like me, when you get something new to build, like if you ever built furniture, which is always the kind of furniture that falls apart in a couple of years, if you ever built something that you buy in the store, like who needs the directions, right? Like just show me the picture. I see the picture. I mean, who needs the directions? If I just read the directions, like I'm lost to it. I mean, it doesn't do much for me. I'm just going to build and go and figure it out, and then I'm going to realize later on, of course, that something went wrong. So in a way, these are like the directions. This is kind of theory, which is good theory, but if I were to be here, I would ask Paul. It's almost like someone was in his head asking him this question. Paul, that's good. I believe you. That makes sense. But how still? How still? Can you give me more? Can you give me an example? Can you give me a model? Can you show me somebody who's done this? Because I need to see more. And Paul says, I'm glad you asked. Keep reading. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Now, if you're an underliner in your Bible, you can underline the next phrase, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and again, if you're an underliner, underline this, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That last statement is so powerful. It is so powerful. He's saying, here's the life of Jesus. And he became obedient all the way to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Now, here's what I see in that. Here's a man who became, who pushed obedience that far. And here's the principle. Here's the big thing. If you are tuning out or you're on Instagram or Facebook or you're doing whatever, you just kind of come back for a moment here, okay? Because this this is the deal. This is what we're all angling toward right now is this principle right here that I see in the life of Jesus right now. And this, in my opinion, if you were to have this and hold this, this will guide you in how you spend your energy and how you build a name and how you rightly look in the mirror internally. And here's this principle that I see in the life of Jesus, and that is this. Great character is built through great obedience. Okay? Great character is built through great obedience. Jesus, 
went so far with his obedience that he took it to the point of death. And he said, if my father is going to ask me to lay down my will and die for him, I will do it. And he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you know what happened? Check it out. You know what happened to his name? All right? You know what happened to his name? The language is there in, in chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Just keep reading there with me. Look at verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see what happened to his name? That when he made himself nothing that when he took on the form of a servant, that when he made that decision in his will and his volition to say, I will go so far that I will follow my father to the cross and die. Great obedience builds great character. You want to know how to build great character? You want to know what it's going to look like at the end of your life? Whether your name is going to give life to the next generation? It doesn't begin with hoping that that will happen. It begins with obedience. It begins with obedience. It begins with saying, you know what, here's what we can all struggle with. It begins with saying, you know, I would prefer to hold a grudge against you because you have bothered me. But my Father doesn't want me to do that. He wants me to be about service and love and humility to you. I'm going to figure out a way to become obedient, not to you, but to my God. You know what, our marriage is just kind of hanging, but we're not really driving anywhere, and we're just kind of living and existing. But you know what? I don't know how to do it, but man, I'm going to figure out how I can be obedient to God in the middle of this. You know what, I'm going through cancer, okay? and I would prefer to complain. I would prefer this were gone, and in fact, it is difficult for me to worship in the middle of this. But in all circumstances, in all times, in all seasons, I am called to respond to God my Father. And I'm going to be obedient to that, even unto my own death. You want to know what builds great character? It's great obedience. It's the response of the will that says, I'm going to put myself under the direction and the strength of my Father. He matters. He must become greater. I must become less. That doesn't happen by accident. That doesn't happen as if we stumble into it. That happens with this intentional, intentional move to say, I want, I want the Spirit of God to move in me. That it's not just about me responding the way I should, but it is about me making much of God my Father. Henry Ford once said, you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. In other words, enough with the talk. Show me. Show me. And here's the problem with the Christian life is it's so daily, isn't it? Don't we all wrestle with half-hearted commitment? Don't we all struggle with sin that so easily entangles? Don't we all empathize with our brothers and sisters who wrestle with temptation they feel like they can't beat? Don't we all wrestle with a sense that I am not known 
Because if I really expose who I am to people around me, I will be judged, therefore I have to keep this facade of godliness on. Don't we all wrestle with that? And don't we all want more? And don't we all want our will to be submitted to God our Father? Isn't this our common struggle? And when the mirror is held up to our reputation, when the mirror is held up to our name, I will be honest with you, sometimes I want to look away. Sometimes it's easier to look away. But you know what you would look like if you went even one day without looking in the mirror. Imagine what it would be like if you went a month. Imagine what it would be like if you went a full season of life and never looked in the mirror. The day of death is better than the day of life because it helps us see that at the end of our days, as our obedience goes, so goes our character. And as our character reflects people toward God, at the end of your day, when you die, your life can bring life to the next generation. And it is a good and godly thing to pause and to hold up the mirror and say, God, what is it? Where is it that I am not fully obeying you right now? What is it that you have wanted me to do that I have been hesitant to do? What is it that will cost me too much that I'm just not full on in with? And I bet you don't have to dig too far because I believe we all have that something because we're human. And here's Jesus' model. He took on the very nature of a servant, made himself nothing, and became obedient all the way to death, even to death on a cross. So here's my encouragement to you now. Hold up the mirror. Hold up the mirror. It's a right thing, it's a good thing to pause and say, God, what kind of name am I developing? Not for me, not for my sake, not that my name will be great, but at the end of my days, that my life can give life to the next generation. I'll tell you something. <laughs> if you're in the dating world, all right, if you're in the maybe someday I'll get married world, you want to have a grid to think through who you're dating and how you're handling that? Here's an incredible grid to run through. How is this guy, how is this girl becoming more and more obedient and helping me become more and more obedient to Christ. You want a grid to run your life through? Incredible grid to think through. Not just, man, are they good looking? Are they smart? Are they handsome? But are they going to help me develop the right name that I should have? My hope for you and my hope for me is at the end of our days, that we're not going to look back with regret on days like today and say, man, I was close. Yeah, I remember that one Sunday. That was interesting. I was close to doing something, but I just didn't go over the hump. And you know how this works, right? A lifetime is made up of days, and what you choose to do today makes choices for your lifetime. So what I want to do in a moment here is I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give time for us to reflect on our life. I want you to, to ask the question, God, what is it that you want to do in my heart today? 
Where is it that you want me to obey and follow you where I've been hesitant to do that? Who is it that I need to respond to or submit to? What is it in terms of my attitude that I need to change? Who is it maybe that I need to speak to? Who is it that I need to stop thinking ill of and start thinking well of? Who is it that I need to forgive, God? What is it that I need to do with my spouse to show them again that I just love them for who they are and not who I want them to be? God, how is it that I should handle my sickness and the attitude I have toward that? Or my disappointment in the people around me or the leaders around me? God, what is it that you want to do in my obedience? And not unlike David in Psalm 139, the the request, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. So I want to give us a moment. I'm going to lead us in prayer and then give you a moment to reflect on that. God, where is it that you want greater obedience in my life? And see what he says. And then we're going to pray, sing, and wrap it up. All right, will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for the truth that exists in your word. And we're grateful for times like this when we can stop and reflect. Rightly so on who we are, how we're growing and where we have room to grow. I pray right now for the men and women, young men and young women listening to this, whether it's live now or later online, that in this moment we can be very honest with ourselves. That your spirit would move us to chisel off some of that hardness of habits that we've gotten into or excuses that we've made to rationalize why we're not fully obeying what we should do. These are hard shells to crack sometimes. Give us courage in these moments, Father, to take a cue from the life of our Savior, who we say we want to be more and more like. Help us to become obedient unto death and the death of our will before you. As we reflect now on these questions. May you give us wisdom to know what you want us to do. good God and Heavenly Father, you are a compassionate and merciful Savior. The Bible tells us that you're slow to anger and abounding in love. So for us this morning, as we reflect on our own weaknesses, our own limitations, the things in our life that we wish sometimes were different, Remind us of your grace. Remind us of your tenderness and compassion. That is strong and firm enough to want to pull us.
from where we are into a greater, greater likeness of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would give us the courage to do, to obey, to act on what we know we need to do, knowing that great character is not an accident, it's not the result of a great hope, but it's shaped through great obedience that often costs us quite a bit. Take our life and let it be consecrated, Lord, today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.